Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers and today one of us closes one of the biggest cultural gaps. Um, with me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inona. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today's episode is going to be a very special episode. We're celebrating the fact that Peter has just finished reading the Harry Potter series. I think it was around episode three that we found out that Peter, you haven't read the Harry Potter books, and we kind of joked about that if one day you did get to read them, we'll do a special episode about that. That was a gap that honestly, I didn't know if I'd ever fill because when I was recording that, I felt like there's been an analogy I've heard before where when you're with Harry Potter fans, it's like bucketing down with rain and you're <laughs> soaked to the brim, and the Harry Potter fans are like. Oh, I can't even feel the rain. Like, and that's what it is when people like continuously make more Harry Potter merchandise and stuff. Like, just how much more could you possibly want? And like, these people are like, oh, I, oh, it was raining. Like, didn't even notice. Like, and everyone else is absolutely soaked. But now I'm totally, I've, I've, I've changed ship now. Um, to combine all the analogies, like I'm batting for the other team now. Yeah, you're one of us now. Well, yes, one of us. Well, and I think no, we can safely call this like a major cultural gap taken care of. Like, I don't know a lot of people who haven't read the books and most people really love them. Yeah, it is a massive gap. Um, so this is basically another one of our kind of lockdown bonus episodes. And before we dive deep into how the experience was and all, I wanted to quickly ask Barrio about the books because I started reading the books as a kid because uh, Barrio, you told me about it. And I don't remember ever talking to you about it after we finished all the books. So how do you like it? Hmm. I think I did, I did like it. I think it's one of those book series that you kind of carry around with you afterwards because you're really driven into that uh, magical world. But I don't know if it's because it's been uh, probably more than 10 years since then or uh, 12 or 13 years yeah yeah so like i think today's talk i'm gonna probably act a lot more surprised than i should as someone who who's read all, all the books <laughs> because i don't i don't entirely remember everything except that it's laviosa instead of laviosa <laughs> harry potter's a weird has a weird fan base where you could read the books like three times through and still be considered like just a novice fan. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Hmm. Barrio, you, have you read them as they came out, or uh, did you wait for everything to be out and then you read them? I think um, as they came out. I think I, were, I was in the fan base that actually waited for each book to come out. Yeah, me too. And you haven't reread them? No. Oh, you never reread yeah, books? Yeah, I, I only read them once. I remember uh, reading the sixth one and actually crying. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Like, like, you know, with tears. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was uh, I was a teenager. Yeah, it came out when we were sixteen or so. Yeah, and and I remember thinking how how weird it is that a book made me cry. All right, so Peter, tell us when and why did you start reading the books? Like, how did it all happen? Well, um, I, I'll tell you why I didn't read them. That's probably the more interesting question. Okay. Um, so they came out uh, like not before my time. The first book was 1997, so I was zero then. <laughs> So, obviously, I couldn't read them when they came out, but a lot of my friends, instead of reading them when the books came out, they read them when the movies came out. So, that was like, it gave them just a few years more to sort of mature enough so they can, one, actually read it, and two, like, 
sort of enjoy Deathly Hallows because if you're 10, you're not going to enjoy the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, so probably not. You sort of want to be more like 15, 16, like more the age of Harry, ideally. So a lot of my friends did that. They they at least grew up with the movies rather than the books. And I was never into sort of fiction fantasy like that. Like even even today, like if I look at the last 100 books I've read, 95 of them are non-fiction and not light non-fiction either. And I sort of feel like when I read fiction books, it's sort of time wasted. Like I could have learned something, but instead I'm learning about stuff that's not occurring anywhere in the world. So, but um, the lockdown episode came, I think it might've been our, one of our first ones, but um, you had recommended some things. You didn't recommend Harry Potter originally, but you just said as a standard boilerplate. Yeah, I couldn't not mention it at all. Yeah. Um, so obviously it just it's just a standard thing you gotta chuck in there. You yeah. gotta read Harry Potter and I was just nodding along. <laughs> I kinda thought I would read the first one. And I didn't really plan on reading the second one. I planned on reading the first one and just saying, well, one, it's not a super long book, the first one, so it's not gonna be like a lot of time wasted. But two, I kind of felt like wasting a bit of time because it was um, like we're in lockdown at that point. We didn't know how many months it would be. Yeah. And um, like this is a this is a long answer, but basically, in that one book, I'm I've totally changed my opinion on fiction. <laughs> it was starting to change a little bit just before that because I I was reading um, Hitchhiker's Guide, so I was getting into fiction a little bit more just around the edges. So I think this is just the thing that's flipped the switch for me, and now. Whereas I can't really say, like, time away from nonfiction is obviously, you can't, like, convert that into knowledge about a specific field, but I can understand why people get into fiction books and, like, get immersed in the world, because even with Hitchhiker's Guide, I never got immersed like I did in The Philosopher's Stone, and um, after I read The Philosopher's Stone, or even halfway through The Philosopher's Stone... I just knew I was going to read all seven. That was going to be my quarantine legacy. And, um, yeah, it feels good, actually. Like, not many people have the privilege to actually read it for a first time when all the books are out and read them relatively quickly in succession. Yeah, so in part, it was your recommendation, and in part, it was just sort of the the priming that sort of some other fiction books like um, 1984 and Hitchhiker's Guide was doing so it was just a good timing. It was a well-timed recommendation. I, I was kind of jealous. Uh, you know, you kept updating us <laughs> about how you were uh, getting along and everything. And I was kind of jealous of you. And I wanted to go and reread the books or listen yeah. to the audiobooks. And I asked you, how long are the audiobooks, like the whole series? Then you said something I thought was funny. You said, it's about one lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, actually, because I finished them this week and I'm going back to work full-time at the office next week. So um, I can't remember how long into lockdown I started reading them, but I can't imagine it would have, was a, more than a week into lockdown. So it was about one lockdown for yeah. at least where I live. Yeah. Cool. I, I kind of want to go over a few key moments from the series. So I chose a few that I was curious to know, like what you felt or thought when you read them for the first time. Uh, these are mostly about moments that have kind of a an impact on the main storyline of the series. Like... Uh, less about the twist of a specific book or something. Cool. Uh, the first one I'm interested in is from the first book, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, you know, it's a moment that we've actually mentioned before. I think 
episode four or five, I've asked you if like there were any major spoilers from from the books that you can't avoid. Um, and if you remember, you said that you can't really think of any, but you've heard the line, Harry, you're a wizard. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. I've heard that one you're before. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? <laughs> and I knew, and I knew um, as soon as I started reading the book, I knew Hagrid said it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think when you got to that point? Because, like, that's a moment that, you know, a whole new world is being revealed to Harry. It's also kind of a moment of hope. It kind of signifies a change in his life. And it happens, like, fairly early on. Like, I think 50, 70 pages into the first book. Yeah. So how do you, you like that moment? Well, um, before that moment, I was... I quite liked the book. But at that point, I still could have dropped it. But the Euro Wizard Harry, when they're on sort of, like, a deserted sort of island, just got off the boat and... He's counting down the minutes on Dursley's wristwatch. Yep. And Hagrid bursts in. Um, basically, that was the point. Maybe not that point exactly, but maybe after Hagrid stands up to the Dursleys and after they go to Diagon Alley and he starts getting his wand, so much wizardry and wizard culture was sort of explained so well in such a short amount of time. Yeah. That was... Pretty much the chapter after that happened, that was the point where I knew I was going to f- read the next six books. I, I remember that even even then when I read it, it really impressed me that um, J.K. Rowling starts with everything really bleak and grey. You know, the, the Muggle world is so, you know, nothing exciting. And then literally when, when Harry gets to the Wizarding world, world, everything becomes colourful. I remember that she also described it a lot more colorful and exotic and interesting and i think that's a good strategy to take you know you start you take it a long way to kind of establish the baseline so you'll appreciate more what's coming next yeah i agree she doesn't start the book by telling you he's a wizard and she doesn't tell you he's a wizard uh in the the first 10 or 20 pages it takes a while it takes a few chapters and, like, she keeps you kind of interested in, in what's going on. There are kind of weird things happening around Harry, but the moment you realize what's going on, the book really... It, it, it's like in uh, The Wizard of Oz when it goes from uh, black and white to color. And like, everything opens up at once. Yeah, you know, I never thought about it being similar to The Wizard of Oz, but, yeah, that's that's a great comparison. It even has wizard in, in the name, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before the... Um... You're a wizard, Harry. Scene. There's um, a few scenes where, um, like when Harry goes to the zoo for Dudley's birthday, very reluctantly from Aunt Petunia. Like even even when he's talking to a snake in parcel tongue, but you don't know it's parcel tongue, obviously, until later. Those were obviously big reveals, but you don't notice till after. And this happens a lot throughout the books. Uh, there's so many things that happen which make sense at a later time and now I'm starting to reread the books again like a little bit slower and there's so much that you only understand many many pages later yeah she puts a lot of information in plain sight but she distracts you from them very beautifully I think so obviously in the first book uh, there's the first kind of encounter with um, Voldemort and you know we, we learn a bit about the history of uh, the wizarding world and then in the second book, the Chamber of Secrets, I think I think the Chamber of Secrets is kind of a more self-contained. You know, I don't think we learn a lot about the main storyline of the series. 
there's definitely an adventure. Harry learns that he's a parcel mouth. And we meet Tom Riddle for the first time. But you don't learn a lot about Harry's family in this book. Um, so let me ask you, for a while there in the second book, Rowling is trying to get us to think that Hagrid is the one who opened the Chamber of yeah. Secrets. Um, did you fall for it at all? Um, yeah, I did, actually. Um, when they said it at the start, I fully believed that Hagrid did it, just because Hagrid's not, he's not a person that doesn't make mistakes. So I thought it's possible, and I thought, like, since um, Dumbledore sort of let him stay, I thought... I thought if he did something bad and Dumbledore still let him stay, that says something about Dumbledore, which might sort of show him that people are resilient or forgiving. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really blink twice at it, but um, I feel like um, Hagrid has a case for being um, re-enrolled from year three onwards. Yeah, I kind of always wondered what, what would happen if he would be allowed to continue going to Hogwarts, you know? He, he's a funny character, he's a weird character, but his heart is in the right place, so I, I'd always wanna, wanted to know what it'd be like to have Hagrid as a kind of a full uh, adult wizard, you yeah. know? Uh, someone who's graduated from Hogwarts. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the second book a lot, actually. I love in fiction books, um, of the few I've read, I like the bread and butter, you could say, as in, like, the Hogwarts classes, the common room conversations the getting owls in the great hall and playing the Quidditch matches. I really enjoy that stuff, which occurs a lot in number one, number two, and number three, and a little bit a little bit in number four. I would say so, and, yeah. and also a little bit in six, but not as much. But anyway, um, yeah, I really do like those scenes that come around a lot, but sort of have a slow build-up, you know, when they're going and talking within classes and and trying to um, work out their next move with each other. I really enjoy the Harry, Hermione, and Ron interactions like throughout the first three books a lot because a lot of the time it's just in class. And I really like Hogwarts as a setting to base all of this. And I feel like Chamber of Secrets almost the best in terms of those scenes because... It was still very primitive in terms of the whole plot wasn't revealed yet, like it was in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. But um, they still had the luxury of having explained the castle in the first book so they could sort of build on it and develop a few more characters um, at the school. Yeah. Like some of the teachers, some of the students. Yeah. In the first three books, there's a lot, a lot of world building and it's a lot of fun world building. It's so fun. You know, because it's mostly kept to Hogwarts and it's just a magical fun place that everyone who goes there loves it but then in the fourth when they go to the Quidditch World Cup and everything you know you have a much bigger world to build because mm. now you're not building Hogwarts you're building the wizarding yeah. world and that's that's a bigger task so in the first three books it's just a lot of charm mm. which is a funny word to use so next up is The Prisoner of Azkaban. And a lot of this book is about the story of James and Lily Potter's death and also kind of their time in school in Hogwarts. And throughout the book, we meet James's friends, which are Lupin, Sirius, and Peter. And um, we hear about their kind of friendships. We learn that one of them has turned to the dark side and we're led to believe that it was Sirius. And we later found out that it's Peter who turned to the dark side. Um, what do you think about the whole storyline there? Because, like, we'll learn a lot about um, Sirius, which turns out to be kind of a major figure in Harry's life. We'll learn a lot about Peter, which 
plays a, a major role in helping Voldemort come back. So it's kind of a, a big book. I absolutely loved Azkaban. And um, I thought Sirius as a villain was incredible, even though he wasn't the villain. But just the, just the constant fear when they're in the dormitories at night and they're... Um, and they think they've had a like serious black spotting and stuff. It felt a little bit like Chamber of Secrets because Chamber of Secrets there was sort of victims of the heir of Slytherin, but mm. with Azkaban it was like the lingering threat of like serious black invading and killing people. And um, they do a lot of world building again, going into his father's sort of um, friend group and stuff. And his and I think his father's friend group is so interesting in. Azkaban onwards, like Remus has some amazing scenes and he plays just such an important part, yeah. maybe even as much as Sirius sometimes. Sirius I love as a character. I, I like that they're not calculating like McGonagall a lot of the time. Like um, I like that Sirius just thinks, you know, you got to stand up for your friends, you got to stick with them, you know, you got to have some sort of like sense of honour. Um, and... James, um, we don't. I feel like we don't hear as much about James in Azkaban as obviously Sirius and Lupin because they're obviously still alive um, at that point. I thought Azkaban was maybe one of the most complete. The only thing is Azkaban was the first one without a final battle in my mind. Exactly. Um, which originally I actually sort of critiqued the book a little bit. And when I mean critiqued, I mean it went from an A plus to an A. <laughs> um, but... Now, I don't feel like that weighs on me as much. Like I, Looking at the book as a whole, um, I think it might be one of my favorites. So. I think she did a wonderful job like building the whole thing because throughout the book, you learn that what a, the part of Sirius was in Harry's past. And um, it gets to a peak, I think, when Harry eavesdrops on the, the Minister of Magic and the teachers and he finds out that Sirius was actually a good friend of his parents, mm. and he thinks that he he helped murder yeah. them. And you're angry alongside with Harry, and then everything is flipped. Like, you learn that everything is the, the exact opposite of what you thought. And Sirius is actually one of the coolest, most loved characters in the book, in the series, even. And, like, throughout the book, there's a few things that Sirius does, you know, before we meet him. Like, Sirius makes mistakes, like when he gets into their dormitories and he accidentally attacks Ron's bed instead of Harry's. And every once in a while, you hear the characters kind of talk about how it doesn't make sense. Like, if he kind of made a mistake and accidentally attacked Ron instead of Harry, why not just kill Ron and then move on to Harry? Later, you find out that all of these mistakes that didn't make sense weren't mistakes. He wasn't after Harry at all. I think I love the way she built it. And like, this is a book that I really enjoy reading again because you can see all the little yeah. details kind of build up. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the fourth book, um, The Goblet of Fire. I kind of, I always felt that this book separates kind of the two halves of the series because the first three books are the ones in which we'll learn about the history and get to know the wizarding world, kind of get introduced to it. And the adventures in these books are kept inside of Hogwarts. And the later books are darker more serious, um, and in these, uh, the later books, the situation keeps getting worse and worse um, throughout the wizarding world. So the fourth book ends with the return of Voldemort, um, a point after which everything changes. How do you like that part? Uh, 
so that part scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I I knew there was later books, but I just thought like the permanency of Cedric's death and just the t- the first time he has the Cruciatus curse used on him, just all the Death Eaters, the scary scene where Pettigrew is sort of reconfiguring Voldemort out of the cauldron. Yeah. Oh, it was hard to hard to read, to be honest. And um, up until um, the Tri-Wizard Tournament, Goblet of Fire was like, I, I love the Hogwarts scenes. I missed Quidditch, but I thought they needed to change something up and the Tri-Wizard Tournament was cool. Yeah. And um, it was really good. And even throughout the... Um, the Triwizard Tournament, I liked it, even through the maze. And then I feel like everything just just turned upside down when it came to those scenes with Harry and Voldemort. And I felt like I, I did really feel a little bit cold um, when I got to those scenes, especially after, because he didn't defeat Voldemort this time. He only survived. Yeah. And um, it was just... It was hard because I was thinking about the next book. I'm like, oh, no, next book is going to be grave, you know? Like, even though, like, reading is reading, like, it, if it's grave, I'm going to read on. Like, I did honestly feel, like, loss. And it was hard, actually. Like, if you asked me at the time, I would have said, like, I didn't enjoy it, like, at that point. I just, I just didn't really feel good. But looking back on it, that's exactly sort of how you were meant to feel. Um, after the Goblet yeah, of Fire. had to happen. And um, that even leaked in a little bit to the Order of the Phoenix. The first few chapters, first nine or ten chapters in Order of the Phoenix, that was a long book. <laughs> um, I, I actually felt like really, not rage, but I felt a lot of anger because Harry went through so much in Goblet of Fire and he was sort of having all these details withheld. I actually really felt sort of angry and frustrated at these characters. Like I was sort of hoping like Harry would just, just do something to really like show um, people that they need him. Like I was just thinking, I don't know, he should just do something that, and Goblet of Fire was sort of like um, fired me up actually. Like I never felt like any sort of anger or anything like that in the first three books, only like curiosity and fear and stuff. But Goblet of Fire was actually like getting a little bit like fired up about it. I think what I really like about the Goblet of Fire is that in the first three ones, the book builds up to kind of an adventure and you get details peppered in throughout the book and you know that something is going to happen because it builds up to it, but you don't know exactly what is going to happen or where or when or what. But in the fourth one, the first chapter, we see Voldemort and Wormtail and there's plotting. You know, you know that something is going to happen and then kind of after that, you just enjoy the Triwizard uh, Tournament yeah. and, and the whole thing. And then suddenly, uh, Harry is transported to Voldemort's parents' house or whatever yeah. it is, and everything goes to shit. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the Triwizard Tournament as well. Uh-huh. Like, I, it feels weird, but I really like the happy scenes where there's not too much <laughs> conflict. And um, I have this sort of anxiety, anxiousness when things are left unresolved or like things are worse Mm. off or people are worse off. And I started to feel that in Goblet of Fire. First time I felt that, you know, I feel like they've lost an edge Mm. or something like that, you know. There's a long stretch in this book where Harry and Ron aren't talking. And I I remember I felt, yeah, it was tough. I felt like stressed when I was reading that for the first time. I actually forgot about that 
briefly. That's why that's why I omitted it. But um, I remember that now. You said it, and that that made me feel anxious. Yeah. I was even when Ron and Hermione do that sometimes. Yeah. Um, I feel like really just sort of maybe anxious isn't the right word, but unsettled. Yeah, I agree. Um, so in the fifth book, The Order of the Phoenix, we see how the situation in the wizarding world is worsening. Like, not everyone is willing to accept that Voldemort is back. And I think the the biggest thing in this book, uh, you know, near the end, is the loss of Sirius Black. Um, how'd you feel when that happened? I didn't believe it when it happened, but... Then in a few sentences, there it was just clear. Like Remus just um, settled Harry down and said he's gone. Like didn't even look for the body, and that was tough. That was a tough loss. Like probably as much as um, Cedric, because Harry like this was almost like a surrogate father for. Mm, yeah. yeah, that was that was really tough actually. And this whole book was tough actually. Like as I said, the first nine or ten chapters, I just felt incredibly um like i wanted harry to lash out yeah you know? i wanted him to like un- unleash some oh, of the anger totally that he had it was a tough book to it get felt like everything was working against him it did feel like everything was working against him this was perhaps one of my favorite sort of ending chapters to end this book um with um harry and neville luna hermione ron all sort of uh, battling the death eaters separately and waiting for some of the members of the Order of the Phoenix to come, mm. that was one of my favourites because that was bringing Neville and Luna along really added to it, I thought. Like, it showed Neville was just so loyal and Luna was is so, like, she has this, like, um, prescient sort of quality about her, you know? Yeah. Like, um, she's just operating on different, like, psychological um, ground that everyone else is, you know? She just doesn't feel the pressure that the others do, and she says some very insightful things. I enjoyed this book as a whole, and it, it is a very long one, and it's hard to sort of think about it all together, whereas Philosopher's Stone, you can sort of map out the chapters in your head. Yeah. Um, the Order of the Phoenix goes through so many changes, it's hard to kind of um, think about it all. But in, in this book, I really enjoyed, one, the final few chapters, and also the chapters in 12 Grimold Place. I like Grimold Place. It was... It was weird because it was like um, just the whole operation where they were cleaning it out really added to the story, I thought, because they could have just said, oh, this is the safe house. It's all clean and ready. There's a, you know, there's just TV over there and the, the cupboards are full. But instead they gave them an old house, which used to belong to people yeah. who hated mudbloods and halfbloods even. And it was all dirty and the house elf hated them it put you a little bit on edge but at the same time everywhere outside was more dangerous so it, it was a weird source of comfort so um i really love that place it had so much personality yeah now i'm thinking about it they didn't really put as much personality into the burrow or four privet drive than they did in grim old place grim old place they really flush out i think my biggest problem with the the order of the phoenix the fifth book is that kind of they tricked Harry and his friends to come to the ministry and there was nothing to do there really. And like, yeah. th- I think that the loss of Sirius Black kind of feels empty because there was no reason for them to be there. Yeah. Like if they'd keep their cool for a while, Sirius would be saved. It did feel like Harry in the Order of the Phoenix was sort of, um, he was subject to the whims of others. You know, he, 
he didn't really have an impact on his own fate until the very end. He just he just had so little information to go on. He spent most of the book catching up to everyone else, like catching up to Ron and Hermione's knowledge, catching up to what the Order knew, catching up to what Dumbledore knew. It felt like he was constantly behind the eight ball. And it does make you feel frustrated as a reader because they could have just entrusted him with more information, but they didn't. So it was frustrating. It's like an angst to it when you were reading it. And I felt that. And um, because of that, I can't, I can't say it's one of my favorites of the series, yet I wouldn't want them to write it so it's all rainbows, you know? It needed to be like that, so... Oh, I agree. Yeah, that's kind of like what the fourth book starts, and, and definitely the fifth one continues, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, if I remember correctly, um, you know, the second book, The Chamber of Secrets, there's um, the Basilisk, I think, yep. that supposedly kill on sight, but luckily no one ever had direct eye contact with it. <laughs> so everyone just freezed, and at the end of the book, everyone just unfreezed, and everything is peachy. And in the fourth one, like when Cedric dies, that that kind of like takes the whole series into mm-hmm. into a dark turn. Yeah, a line is crossed. Yeah, where in each book, a character, at least one character, must die. But correct me if I'm wrong. In the fifth book, they also uh, find the prophecy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's a big reveal. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of like a big build up towards the end. Yeah, it it becomes useful in the 6th and 7th book, definitely. Um also we can't we can't skip over um Order of the Phoenix without talking about the DA meetings and also the educational decrees. Like Hogwarts was never a battle zone like it was in Order of the Phoenix. Well, up until Order of the Phoenix, I should say. And it's in a literal battle zone in then yeah, um, episode seven, in the book yeah. seven. <laughs> <laughs> but Hogwarts is always sort of a safe zone, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Chamber of Secrets, there was parts where it wasn't obviously safe, and Philosopher's Stone, it was just the one room, really. And Azkaban sort of happened away from the castle most of the time, but... And Goblet of Fire wasn't wasn't even at Hogwarts at all. So Order of the Phoenix was weird where the Ministry was sort of the enemy for a lot of the book. And it felt like Hogwarts was being destroyed from the inside out. And after all those chapters, because it was such a long amount of time before he got to Hogwarts, because usually they're spending in Privet Drive where it's not as much, or in the borough where they're sort of just, it's just a week in the borough, then they go to Diagon Alley, get their books, and then... And then they're there, but this for Order of the Phoenix, it spent so long in angst of thinking like whether they're going to get to go, and then then when they do go, it starts falling apart. And it was really good, and I loved the DA meetings. I thought um, I thought that was incredible. Like that was that was one of my favorite parts, the DA meetings. Totally agree. They're taking their fate in their hands, and they're doing something. They're not sitting and waiting for everything to collapse around yeah. them. I really liked yeah. it. Um, in the sixth book, The Half-Blood Prince, we learn a lot about the um, possibly dark past of Dumbledore and the past of Tom Riddle. There are quite a few kind of flashback scenes that take us back in time. Uh, they let us and Harry kind of learn what needs to be done to be able to beat Voldemort for good. I remember it is one of the most interesting points in the series. Peter, what do you think about the, the, the flashbacks, kind of about the what we learn? Well, funny you say, because the, f- the pensive adventures were my favorite part of half-blood prince by far 
I can't remember how many chapters there were, but when they did it, they spent almost the whole chapter in the flashback. So yeah. they weren't like 15 second scenes. And oh, what did you think? What are we going to say? And I was skeptical when they when um, they started them. I was thinking, oh, is this going to be like a weird side plot? But it was it was the main plot, and um, oh, it was it was really good, so detailed, and I just loved sort of forgetting I was in the pensive and just sort of listening to it, and then realizing I'm in the pensive, trying to figure out the lessons, mm. and um, yeah, I I thought going into his backstory was such a, like I knew we were sort of getting to the end of the books and I thought going into his backstory is such a better way than just sort of using brute force or being a be- better wizard or something like that like exploring what makes him vulnerable and the horcruxes it was just it was just pure bliss reading it and half blood prince takes a little bit of a break from the impending doom I thought that was present in Order of the Phoenix. I think it's because suddenly the the wizarding world accepts that Voldemort is yeah. back and kind of takes yeah. Harry's side in So a way. there was sort of like a weight on my shoulders from the last two books, Goblet of Fire and the Order of the Phoenix, where just Harry felt like he was in this unwinnable position. Half-Blood Prince gave me back a feeling of hope again. And mm. um, yeah. I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The only thing I'll say is that I didn't really appreciate the Half-Blood Prince, sort of the reveal that that Snape was the Half-Blood Prince. I don't think I appreciated that as much as I could have. And I think when I go back and reread it, I think I'll enjoy it much more. Maybe, yeah. Obviously, the sixth book ends with Dumbledore's death. How do you feel when that happened? Oh, that, I, I didn't think it was real. <laughs> I didn't think it was real. I'll say with Sirius, I for a second I didn't think it was real, um, but I sort of knew after Lupin pulled him aside. In sorry, in um, Half Blood Prince, when um, Dumbledore dies, I I just said no, he's he's like he's faked his death, and he almost he did fake his death actually, but it was still a death. Just the way it was done yep. was fake, and um, uh, it. <sighs> That was I, tough. I remember not being able to accept it. I, I, I wasn't able agree. to accept it as well because they were in the hospital ward and someone says like, oh, you better tell Dumbledore. And he's just like, can't. He's not here. Like, that's yep. it. Like, can't say anything. Oh, that was tough. That was really tough. Mm. Um, yeah. Not the hardest one to deal with in the series, but up until that point, it was. Especially those last few chapters when they went to get the locket and... And Dumbledore was drinking all the sort of the, the liquid in the thing, whatever it, it is. It all felt like a, a dream, kind of. It, didn't feel it real felt to like me. a dream. And also when Dumbledore was saying all those things, like, oh, just just end me, like, kill me now and stuff. Yeah. Wow, that hit hard. I was, like, mm. not at the point of tears, but I was definitely, like, reflecting. After every chapter, I'd just think. And I'd read the next chapter and I'd have a think. Just, I don't know what I was thinking about. I was like, how do I... How do I continue reading? <laughs> but, um, yeah, just I knew he was saying something important as well. I knew there was more to Dumbledore like than what was revealed. And it does get revealed later what he was sort of yeah. contemplating. But that was tough. Because like, at that point, Harry couldn't give up and say, Dumbledore, get me out of here. Because he, he, there was no safety at that point. And that was that exactly. was so scary. Exactly. So, and, and especially when... They see the dark mark, and Harry goes from 
you know, thinking, oh, maybe I'll just, I'll carry Dumbledore back. And then he just says, look, Axio, Axio broomsticks, let's get on. We don't have time to do the hospital wing thing anymore. That was, that was tough. And I think when I reread it, I'll see some of the signs that Dumbledore knew that it was, he didn't have long left. Mm. Because as soon as he saw that dark mark, Dumbledore was thinking, well, okay, that's it, you know? That was tough. Yeah. Um, the other thing about Half-Blood Prince was this is maybe a bit weird for like a 22-year-old to be so into this relationship, but the Harry <laughs> and Ginny relationship in Half-Blood Prince, mostly like even before, like when he was just thinking about it, I didn't really think they would get together. I just didn't imagine them together. But as he saw Ginny in the room and he just, and he went, goes up for a hug, but they kiss. Oh my God. Like, call me a little girl, but that was just, that was amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know why, if it's just the way that she wrote it, but I just knew it was going to happen. I was like, oh my God, just do it. And then it happened. And I am so embarrassed, but it was amazing. So I don't actually remember how I reacted to that oh, when I read it for the first time. I think I I felt like I had my eyes closed, but I was still reading somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, "What about Cho?" <laughs> uh, yeah, but I just as soon as it happened, I just thought it was so it felt so right. Like a lot of these moments, I'm just thinking, "Oh, it's gonna happen now." Yep, yep, there it happened. Yep, and you're so out of it. You're th- you're just thinking about what people are gonna say about it and. Or are people going to approve of this relationship? And oh, I wonder how this is going to evolve in the series. And I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just so into it at the moment. I was fully absorbed. That might be the moment I was most absorbed in the whole series. Like, Deathly Hallows was very gripping, but that was like, I don't know why. Just coming out of Snape's office when he um, had the detention and then walking down and just not sure if they won and he's ready for disappointment and i was feeling really glum at that point and he walks in everyone's happy so you're starting to feel a bit better sees Ginny, and then Ginny could have turned around and said oh don't celebrate with us you know you weren't there but just went the other way and that was um that was just amazing and the seventh and last book uh the deathly hollows well i, I think it's basically kind of an adventure book in which you know our heroes are trying to hunt down all of uh, voldemort's horcruxes yeah and, you know, after learning about his past and all. And also an actual war breaks between the Wizarding World and, um, you know, Voldemort's followers. And the situation is easily at its worst. Um, how do you like the way the story ended? Did you, like, did it end as you expected it to end? What do you think about the way Snape's story ended? Because, like, they build it for seven books. What, what do you think of the uh, end? We've got to take this slow because this is, there was so much to think about. <laughs> yeah, and I got excited there with the questions. Yep. <laughs> so Remus and uh, Nymphadora, they were tough because I felt like Remus was the last connection harry really had to his father you know it was remus it was Sirius, and it was james you know and i just i just felt so sorry that he's never going to be able to talk to anyone about his father anymore and i know that Sirius was sort of a father figure but remus was also sort of filling that spot um especially in the year that he was the dark arts teacher just remus felt like such a such an honest person, you know? He didn't have anything to be ashamed of. and One of my favorite characters. Yeah. One of my favorite characters, especially, yeah. And that hit really hard. Like, I just was amazed when that happened. 
yeah, that was tough, especially when Harry was appointed the godfather um, of the child and Nymphadora especially because he just met Nymphadora's parents as well that, that year. So mm. that was really tough. Um, I think the only death that hit harder was uh, one of the twins. Yeah. The Weasley Who twins. knows what twin died? Does anyone know? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, it's a 50-50. It's a 50-50. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to look it up because I don't want to say the wrong yeah. one. When I look back and listen to this episode, if I ever find out. It's George. I'm going to say Fred. Um, Fred. Fred met his demise during the Battle of Hogwarts. He was killed by an explosion outside the Room of Requirement in Deathly Hallows, leaving the Weasley family, including twin brother and best friend George, in shambles. That was the only one that hit harder than Nymphadora and um, Remus. And I'm also a little surprised that they didn't cover it more. I mean, so much was happening, so um, I can understand. But, uh, I, like, especially because in um, Order of the Phoenix, Molly Weasley, Mrs. Weasley, was just dreaming that everyone she loved was going to die. I just thought, not Fred. Like, why? He's so young. He's just started his business, you know, like... Let it be Mr. Weasley, even. Like, Mr. Weasley's lived a long life. He had a close call in Order of Phoenix, you know. Again, I'm a little surprised that they didn't go into a little bit more like how George was going to live um, on his own. And, yeah. yeah, that was so tough. So tough. Especially especially Percy coming back and reuniting with his brothers. That was nice. That was one thing. At least, at least Fred died when Percy when they were having a laugh, you know, with Percy, and everything was okay for a second, so. Mm. What'd you think about uh, Snape's storyline? <sighs> okay, so Snape had the best. I've never seen a character written as well as Snape in anything. <sighs> okay, so walking through the books, um, in the first book, Snape was um, like the mini-villain. Like, it was like the, when you're 11 and you're at school, teachers can really be villains, yeah. you know. Like, you can be legitimately scared of a teacher that just doesn't like you. And he was that. But then at the end, he was the one trying to get rid of Krill. And I felt like, wow, maybe there's something more to Snape. Like, Snape has some sort of sense of honor. Was it because Harry was a student? And I just sort of, not forgot, but, like, I was like, okay, Maybe I over-exaggerated it. Maybe he just saved a student because he's a teacher. And, look, he w he just didn't want the Dark Lord to, to rise again, thanks to Professor Krill. Not a big no. deal. Like, he probably would have done it for Hermione. So, you know, <laughs> let's, let's not over-exaggerate it. And then onwards from there, he sort of fulfilled just the pain in Harry's side, you know, especially in Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, what are you doing, Snape? How can you be so stupid like just yeah. let him reunite with his godfather and from prisoner of azkaban onwards i felt really angry at snape as did harry and um snape has an interesting sort of lead up to the half-blood prince which half-blood prince is snape's book that yep. that's his book you know and i just i couldn't have hated him more towards the end of um half-blood prince because at the start of Half-Blood Prince, just for a bit of context, I was texting my friend as um, as I was reading it, and I was saying, well, I, I bet, because this is just how, he's, how characters are written, he's going to be a triple agent. He's going to be, and when I mean triple agent, I mean he'll be working for Dumbledore, but Voldemort will think 
he's working for him, but he really is working for Dumbledore. And I was, I was certain, I was certain, I was certain. Even when he was talking to Draco, I was like, I don't know what he's doing, but the reason why he has to be angry at Harry must be because he's just doing an act. But then I was, I was flicking through, and I was, and I realized that even when he's alone with Harry, he's angry with him. You know, and yeah. like not even angry at the point like where oh, if he wasn't angry, maybe Harry would suspect something. But he doesn't need to be so cruel. You know, he is really cruel to Harry and yeah. overly cruel. He d- he wouldn't have to be that cruel if he was a, even a, just a double agent. So at that point, especially when he killed Dumbledore, but at, at that point onwards, I just thought, oh, okay. So Snape's just the worst. Yeah, you're left with no doubt. I was left with no doubt after six and I thought well he's just gonna he's finally joined Voldemort again and then it's gonna be Voldemort Snape against Hogwarts and that made sense to me because well I was waiting for Snape to have a big moment and I thought well okay that's it he's gonna be fighting on side by side with Voldemort that's that to me was a good not a good thing but it felt like good enough for Snape it was it was something that Snape would could build up to, and that's pretty good to be second only to the Dark Lord. Oh, and then Deathly Hallows happens. Still hate Snape even more. Um, <laughs> I mean, Snape hit um, Fred's ear off. No, it's George, is it? It's it's George's um, ear off. And I just, oh, like, having something tangible that he's taken after Dumbledore just, just fired me up again. And um, when we, I'm just going to skip ahead because I can't think, of, I can't go through <laughs> my feelings of every chapter. But when Snape's lying there, and luckily Harry's around him, and he just says, "Take it," takes takes the silver um, sort of memories, goes to the pensive, and I was thinking, "Ooh, fifty minutes, mate, be quick with the pensive." But he was, <laughs> and um, I hesitate to say it, not because I can think of another scene that I liked more. But just because it's such a long series that maybe I'm I'm missing something, but that might be my favourite sequence of scenes yeah, where um, where Snape's talking with Lily and Snape's such a normal and not normal, but he's you can tell he's not bad. He's he's not he's not bad at all. Like he he's pretty decent. Like you know doesn't deserve anything bad towards him, and then. You can see Lily's, Lily's like very caring of Snape, but Snape has this sort of, you know, um, connection with the, with the dark arts. He's a Slytherin and he's friends with some shady people. And I kind of think like, I know people that are good people, but they sort of aren't in a good crowd and they don't have the best, they don't have the best first impression, you know, and I really felt like Snape was just like a grown man who just went through a bad childhood. Mm. And then it goes further and it's saying how he begged Voldemort not to kill Lily Evans. Now it all made sense why Snape hated Harry because a lot of the time he did hate Harry. Harry wasn't Lily. Harry was half Lily, half James. And he only wanted Harry to survive because of Lily. Like, you know, it's because what Lily would have wanted. You know, it all suddenly made sense. And the thing that really hit me hard was when Snape was getting angry at Dumbledore for basically fattening him up for Voldemort. That hit me hard because at that point, I thought there was no redemption for Dumbledore, which there, which there was. 
because um, he knew that he would survive. But I just felt so sorry for Snape because he has no friends in the Order of the Phoenix. He has no friends in the Death Eaters because the Death Eaters think he's in the Order of the Phoenix. So he's lived this solitary life serving person he didn't get to marry's son who's doesn't even like him. And uh, I, I thought there was no, there was almost no, mo, no more noble cause you could dedicate your life to. But when people say dedicate your life, people are like, oh, I dedicated my life to accounting because I'm here all the time and, you know, you know spent a lot of time doing it. But he yeah. dedicated his personal, his private yeah. life. He literally lived that cause. He lived the cause. And I can't imagine all the nights Harry was thinking about how Harry was giving him a bad time at school and he was just thinking, I'm doing it to save this bloody kid, you know. It just <laughs> it really crushed me at that point. And the fact that he and the fact that he died before he could say like thank you or anything. Um like Harry could actually just because yeah. Harry obviously couldn't go to the pensive, come back and say thanks. So he died and he didn't even get any thanks. And yeah. well he did, but he obviously wasn't there for it. So that to me really broke my heart, and that was that was the moment of the series for me. That was, yeah, I agree, amazing. I'll put a little asterisk because I'm sure, like as I reread them many times, then I'm sure there could be other scenes. But for now, that that hit me the hardest. Yeah, I agree. It's a beautiful moment, and it like it's the payoff of a storyline that stretched for seven books. I thought Harry Harry naming his son Albus Severus was quite good it doesn't sound good albus severus (laughs) in fact i actually kind of would have liked him just call him severus potter that or sev potter or something like that that would have been nicer because dumbledore died in good standing mostly i'm sure harry would have said something about snape in the quibbler or something but to name his son just plainly sev would would have been nice but yeah yeah you kind of wait for something bad to happen to snape because you hate him and then all of a sudden he becomes so human and so relatable and you're kind of rooting for him and just then he dies. And that creates this really special effect that you as a viewer from the side can't help but feel very engaged in, in the depth of, of what's happening yeah. in this world. There's something about doing something without even the hope of reward is amazing. Like, yeah. people who are only going to be recognized for what they do well after their death. There's something about being human which is hard to accept that. Often when people are sort of dedicating their life to a greater cause, there's some payoff for you. You know, like, at the end, everything's okay. But when there's no payoff for you, only for someone else, like, ever, there's something in the human sort of mind which sort of explodes a little bit. Like, it's hard to comprehend. And, you know, I kept thinking about... um Throughout the books, they keep mentioning that Harry has Lily's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess there's something like really profound in in seeing someone else's eyes. Eyes are so immutable because with hair you can do things about it, and body shape is sort of like you can be tall, I guess, but doesn't it's nothing doesn't say much about you. But eyes are so immutable, like you can't people will do it, but you can't really get like a tattoo over your eyes or anything like that. So. That's why the color contacts are, are just horrible. <laughs> yeah, you and can't stand um, them. sorry, you just um, triggered one more thought. Sorry, um, I'll talk again. <laughs> um, I realized in book seven that we focus so much on James Potter, 
And I and I I sort of had this feeling like when Remus is first talking about James, he said, "We're not perfect." Um, you know, we we were kids just like you and Harry wasn't sure like really if his dad was okay. And I realized that like his father figure wasn't really what he was like. His dad wasn't the upstanding citizen. He was, he made the Marauders map. He did things that sometimes were probably immoral and his dad, his dad wasn't a terrible person by any means, but he definitely did have this reformation. You know, he went, Lily was sort of the one who brought him into the light and, when he died, I feel like James was had sort of paid back most of his um, debts. You know, like he yeah. he went from being a little bit of a brat, much more than Harry is, to sort of coming back into into the light. And I don't know how better to say it, but Lily really just turned him around, and Lily was probably the better half of James. And I didn't realize how much we overlooked Lily. You know, yeah, we don't know too much about her throughout the books. Well, the thing we do know is that she was good at potions because Harry's always congratulated about Lily's potion skills. And obviously, Snape as the potions teacher and also the Half-Blood Prince, you know, that's probably something that brought Snape and Lily together, the fact that they were mm. both good at potions. You know, they probably had similar thoughts, you know, that they probably acted similarly, but Snape was pulled down sort of the Slytherin end and... James and Lily were in the same house, and he was a pretty cool-looking dude. So it's amazing that Lily and James are such different people. Like, when you go into the book, you think they were they could have just been, like, exactly the same, yeah. you know? Perfect match. Two halves of the same coin. But you realize they were actually two opposites, and Snape might have been more like Lily than James was. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Lily was a redhead, right? Uh, I yeah. Remember. Yeah, I think she was. Dark red hair. And Jenny had... She was just a redhead, like yes. all the Weasleys. Oh, what dear old Freud had to say about that. <laughs> I haven't seen the movies, but I think Ginny and his mother look similar. I kind of have a picture of uh, Lily Potter's character from the movies, and mm. I think maybe they did go for some, you know, a couple of yeah. similar-looking actresses for her and Ginny, maybe. I think I think uh, in the movie, J.K. Rowling acts uh, Lily Potter. Maybe in the really? first one, but in the sixth movie, you can see Lily and Snape as kids. Oh. That's not J.K. Rowling. <laughs> or is it? Or is <laughs> it? <laughs> Peter, how'd you like the epilogue of the book? Well, I actually texted you guys after I, after I read it, and I said it was crushing, and you asked me if it was good or bad, and I said emphatically both. Because I don't want to be selfish, but it it felt like it closed so many doors and I just thought, oh, well, that's it. You know, I was hoping they'd leave a door open like, oh, yeah. and that was the 10 years at Hogwarts or seven years at Hogwarts. And then I could think, oh, what happens after? But it really sort of brought it to a close. It was like, that's the end of the chapter. And look, they probably did have eventful things that happened to them up until that point in the next 19 years. But overall the Voldemort chapter is over and nothing like that would ever happen again and he says it even before the epilogue he said like that's enough enough trouble for a lifetime and he was part of society again like he felt normal he had a wife he had kids you know and Ron uh, I loved Ron and Hermione's relationship as well like I thought it was a little bit not forced but like I felt like sometimes even when Harry and Hermione could have had a little bit of um chemistry i feel like they skipped over it a little bit quicker than maybe they would have otherwise um but i'm okay with that i thought ron and hermione were 
there's something about him, like something about not being in the spotlight that they both shared. Because being Harry Potter's friend is almost just as a unique as experience as being Harry Potter, you know? And they're the only two that can really understand what it's like to be around Harry Potter, but not not know directly what he what Harry's feeling. And I just, I loved how Ron was so protective of Hermione. And even when it was so obvious they they were going to get, be together, it just... It was it was a nice dose of love sometimes when it was dark, mm. and seeing them together at the station um, in the epilogue was it was great. Like <laughs> I loved when he said, "You thought I was gonna confund the driving test," and she said, "I had complete faith in you." And he whispered, <laughs> to "Harry, well, I did confund him." <laughs> um, I just thought, no, nobody's changed. Everyone's just who they are. Ginny was nice. Like Ginny's finally like. The, like seeing Ginny as a, as a mother was quite emotional. And there was this mo- moment where um, Harry's kids are so nice, of course. They're like, oh, let's we can have um, Ted over. And um, I'm happy to share a room with James, was it? I'm, yeah, I'm forgetting remember. some of the names. But like two of the kids were saying, oh, we'll, we'll stay in the same room if, if Ted's Tonks and... Um, and Remus's kids wants to come over four days or because um, he's already coming over four days a week. Let's just have him over. And then Harry has said no, like instinctively, like he didn't even realize he said it so firmly. And then he's like, oh, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to see you guys in the same bedroom because that was talking about his time at the Dursleys. Like he just wants his kids to have the childhood that he didn't have. It was nice. I, I don't know how I would have ended it if I didn't end it with that epilogue. I wouldn't have liked them to skip a few years. Like if they just skipped like two or three years, just to say, oh, they've got jobs now that he's an aura or something like that. It would have felt very cheap. But having 19 years, like the next time that the station felt like really, it was, it was heartbreaking because it was like, it was all over, but it felt good to know like everything was going to be okay. Like his, his, I, I felt like him and Ron and Hermione still and, and Ginny still sort of interacting, you know, like catching up all the time felt like a, almost like a slightly more um, dispersed version of like the Weasleys, you know, because mm. the Weasleys had like a really great childhood. And I feel like Harry and Ginny are sort of mimicking what they went through with at the Weasleys. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of wanted to have more of the epilogue, if you know what I mean. I wanted like, to have more, but if I had more, I would have felt even worse after. I would have felt like, oh, now they're giving, going into details and now I want to know more about it. It felt like it gave me just enough maybe, but yeah. I don't know. It kind of felt like, you know, the the war ended and, you know, they won. And then you skip 19 years ahead and basically the epilogue tells you everything is okay. Like everything turned out all right. And that's all you need to know. But no, I want to know more. No, no, no. So I don't want more of the epilogue. I want more. I want another chapter before the epilogue. Yeah. You know, I want a chapter where they go back to the burrow. They catch the train back. They go back to the burrow. They find out everyone who died and um, they they talk with, um, well, they don't talk, but they, they see Ted's, um, Ted Tonks, the kid. They... Um, they talk about Mrs. Weasley. Mrs. Weasley's talking about George or Fred, the yeah. one that died. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I would have liked it to end happily. I wouldn't like another chapter if it was just talking about Fred the whole time. Like, I would have liked it to start yeah. with that and then end 
on a happier note, like, like something just like, oh, so what are you guys doing now? Oh, you know, I'm thinking we'll try to get jobs and then like something where they plan out a little bit and then, you know, like, or something like, oh, we're thinking about applying and then Ron and, Ron and Harry book an appointment to apply for something. Hermione goes somewhere else to be like a librarian or something. I don't know. And, you know, it would have been nice to have some sort of like, oh, what's next? Oh, I know. And then something very like inconsequential, but something that could have just end on something that wasn't so heavy, you know? No. Yeah. I think the epilogue kind of seals everything and says, don't worry, everything's okay. Go home. The The, the story's over. But I, yeah. I want to see how they deal with the aftermath of everything. Yeah. Uh, we lost a lot of characters. We We made a lot of... I don't know, like new friends along the way. And I want to see how everything turns out to be because it kind of feels like she kind of ran out of ideas and just said, I'll, I'll close the story and, and that's yeah. it. You know what would have been a nice epilogue? Um, if everyone there, because obviously it wasn't just the students at Hogwarts, but everyone catches the train back and then there's just a carriage of Molly and, and Mr. Weasley, all the other Weasleys, Ginny and Neville and Luna, everyone crammed in. And then they just still have the tray coming by with cauldron cakes and pumpkin pasties, and they just talk like just a just a conversational last chapter yeah. where they just talk about what they're going to do. Yeah, because we went through seven long books and it just ended so quickly. I needed yeah. a, a, one more dialogue, even. I needed that dialogue on the train. So when we started talking about Harry Potter, I think, like I said, it was episode three of this podcast or whatever. We kind of thought it would be interesting to know what it would be like to read these books. As an adult, seeing as how most of the people we know that have read them have read them as kids. And I think it's safe to say that, like, for you, Peter, at least, it didn't make a really big difference. Like, it seemed like you enjoyed them as much as we did when we were kids, right? Yeah, I feel like Harry Potter, like, especially sometimes for guys, like, I feel like this is a big thing recently with men's health. Like, a lot of guys don't express sort of, like, their sort of feelings as much with growing up and stuff. And I feel like Harry Potter was like a really good sort of mental resource for people. Like It would have been great growing up to read it as well. But even now, I still had a lot of like residual sort of feelings about it. And Harry Potter was just a really great sort of therapeutic way to think about like childhood again. And I'm 22 for reference. And... I, I'm glad I read it when I'm 22, actually. I could have read it earlier, but I don't know if I could say I, I'm glad I'm mature enough to read it because some of the earlier books were okay for children as well. But I feel like I've, I just, I've reflected a lot as an, as an older person and not in a, not in a literary way where I'm thinking about the themes of the book, but just, just how I felt about it. You know, there's probably no one listening at this point who hasn't read it. If you've got this far. <laughs> there's so many things spoiled so i don't think there's any point in saying uh if you're 22 read it because no no one's listening to it at that point but if you were at all interested about a person that was not only hadn't read it but was almost a little bit skeptical about reading it like i sort of laughed off when people say it. like i'm not a harry but i'm not into wizards you know like what <laughs> like leave me alone you know it it's converted me convert is the right thing i feel like i've almost got indoctrinated into a religion but i've gone so willingly so i, I think i read it over probably seven or eight weeks 
best seven or eight weeks of my life, really. It was just amazing to read because I didn't take a break between the books. I just felt like I just lived it, to be honest. And mm, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it, really emotional to end it as well. Like I felt a little bit empty when I, I, I ran it, but you know, I'm 22. I'm old enough. If I was younger, maybe that would have been worse, but it's tough finishing a series. And it always is, no matter what it is, if it's a TV series or even a series of movies sometimes. Being 22 definitely helps in that regard, but it doesn't it doesn't make the books any worse. I don't know if it makes it better, but it doesn't make it any worse, I'd say. Yeah. Mm. So I'm my last question, which to me is not really an important question, but I think people would want to know okay. uh, which book was your favorite book. Or oh, okay. how would you rank them? Uh, well, I'll tell you how I've sort of done my preliminary ranking. And that is I have sort of like an A plus, A and A minus. Um, <laughs> so in A plus, I would put Philosopher's Stone. I would have Prisoner of Azkaban and I'd have The Deathly Hallows. I feel like the number one book was my favorite for a long time because it was so simple and I felt light but yeah. it came together so perfectly and every chapter was used because there wasn't a lot of bloat with this one. It felt like every chapter was used to the greatest extent it could, you know? It felt like a whole movie happened in every every chapter. I felt like um, every sentence was used to the best Every extent. sentence, yeah. And then Azkaban obviously had still had the Hogwarts bread and butter, which I really do like because two of my favourites are in the first sort of three or four which had the Hogwarts um, scenes or had a lot of the Hogwarts scenes that dominated the book but opening the series up to the greater wizarding world was really refreshing and um, the, the threat of Sirius Black was really good as well and then number seven was a full on ad adventure and I loved the scenes in the tent, the tent almost became the Hogwarts, you know it was just... Mm. Who's on lookout? Who's wearing the locket? You know, Hermione's on the top bunk, and then you know, Ron runs off, and oh, when Ron ran off, oh. <laughs> but yeah, it just felt it just it just felt like a full on blitz. Like it was just so many action scenes and so many times where I thought that's it, they're gone, and I felt so emotional. And the ending was very emotional. Obviously, the epilogue we just talked about. So, I put them in A+. In A, I would just put the um, Half-Blood Prince and the Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets was um, almost as good as number one and three for me. I really enjoyed the added um, depth they ha they built on after, after the first book. And obviously, Half-Blood Prince being Snape's book. And the return to normality a little bit in terms of... Um, back into doing schooling again and also the um the pensive adventures which are so great but yeah it, those two would probably be my a's and then my a negatives would be um order of the phoenix and goblet of fire and mm. those ones are definitely the most divisive of the series and i could honestly see myself reversing those to be more up the list but only because they made me feel a little bit uneasy and i was the most anxious and that's nothing wrong with it, but it's just, it's hard to say something's my favorite if I did feel so angsty, like in the middle of reading it. And again, nothing wrong with it, but 
if it's if there's something that has to fill the bottom spot, I'm picking the one that I was angry at, you know. So <laughs> yeah. Um. So out of out of those top, um, the A pluses are. I want to say I want to say the Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite because when I'm comparing the first and the seventh, the first one just didn't have the context to call it my favorite when so much stuff happens after is tough. And seven, they spent a lot of time outside of Hogwarts. And I feel like when they came back to Hogwarts, I was so nostalgic almost, even though it had only been one book. And then Azkaban was set at Hogwarts, but it still had a lot of the wizarding world. It had Sirius at the end. I think that is my favorite. You know, what is your favorite book? My, it's so hard because... Each and every book is so different and each and every one has its strengths and weaknesses in relation to the other books. I think um, the third one I, is, is my favorite because, like Peter said, it's still in Hogwarts. It's still kind of a smaller adventure, but I just really love the storyline of The Prisoner of Azkaban. And then I'm thinking the fourth one is definitely one of my favorites because it was the first one I read in English. So it's really special to me. It's the first book ever, I think, I read in English. I was 12 or 13, and it really, you know, kind of was my first experience with kind of British slang and, and mm -hmm. language and everything. And the sixth one is definitely one of my favorites because of all of the flashbacks, which I really enjoy. And then, you know, when I think of the first one, I can't not mention it. And when I think of the seventh one, I really love how everything ended. I'm, I think, all in all, book number three is my favorite, but it's a really hard question to answer. What about you? It's a really hard question. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is a very hard question, but, well, definitely not the first, because it's still, like, getting started. Definitely not the second, because... It's lacking a couple of things, although it's fun. The third one is pretty good from what I remember. The fourth one, I think, is the most exciting. Yeah. Um, well, fourth and the seventh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, the fifth one is the most, uh, I don't know, I, I think I found it the most boring. Yeah, it's the most confused kind of one, yeah. the most aimless yeah, kind of one. Yeah, it, it's hard to sort of summarize your feelings on it because so much stuff happens yeah i think the six is the most touching one and the seventh i'm kind of split about the seventh i didn't like the the uh epilogue um <laughs> yeah i can i can see why but um there's nothing i could change like as much as i i'm not settled with it i don't know what i would actually change but i about the epilogue i kind of feel that like i've never read a a really satisfactory epilogue until I read The Lord of the Rings because once you read that, you uh, you want each and every epilogue to be like the one in Lord of the Rings because I, I think it's a kind of a masterclass in finishing a story. It's, it's amazing. I'm not going to say any more than that because I know, Peter, one day you intend to read that. I will, yeah. But this is how you do an epilogue. Not the movies, not the Lord of the Rings movies, the books. Well, to talk about a TV show, my favorite show undisputably is how i met your mother and um the finale of of how i met your mother is shambles <laughs> really it, it's it's shambles i i try to defend it a little bit out of honor but it it's it's a rough 
It's a Didn't rough people thing to hate watch. it and then they released a new kind of finale? No, they released a less of it actually. They just cut out some bits. So, oh. um, like a good surgeon, they just removed all the bad stuff. And um, mm. I don't like that because I feel like once you've done it, you just got to stick with it. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. So when when I compare anything to that. Anything's a win, really, as long as you just don't do anything too controversial. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I guess it's a talk for another recording, but yeah, definitely. Like talking about the end of of How I Met Your Mother is an interesting one. And also, I'm I don't want to defend the epilogue too much because just because I haven't digested it completely, I I could I could see myself either really reconciling it and and liking it a lot, or I could see myself sort of recognizing like once I feel a bit more comfortable with the series. Maybe there's things I would be confident enough to say, oh, I would rather this happen. So I'm undecided, but I, I also don't mind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to me after uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I think I would go with the fourth one. I really like the fourth one. Did I put that as A minus? Oh, damn. I feel yeah. bad. <laughs> well, A minus is still pretty good. Don't worry about only, it. Like- only because Cedric's death tainted it. I was well, not tainted it, but like. I felt so happy that whole book when he was getting through the task and then I was just like, I felt like something, I felt like I, I'd been splinched. (laughs) That's a good use of that word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what? If you don't mind, let's think together of a better epilogue. Okay. I think, I think it's an interesting. Are we happy with the 19 years or do you want it to be longer or shorter? I think like 19 years. I wouldn't go 19 years. Yeah. It's, it's a bit too long. You kind of, it kind of takes the characters to to a whole different place and and they and they kind of became become strangers what about if we came back at like the birth of harry's child maybe the birth of harry's child and they said what were you going to name him mm. and they said albusio severoso or something like that <laughs> yeah. i don't know i would want to see how the characters react to everything that happened i want to see you know a, a lot of painful things happened at the battle in hogwarts and i want to see how people react to that. I want to see the Weasleys react to the death of Fred. I want to see mm. how George keeps living his life without his best friend and, you know, lifelong twin. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how the Dursleys react to, you know, hearing what yeah, Harry you did. you don't hear anything from the Dursleys. Yeah, at all. I, I don't need to see them for another few hundred pages or even a few i don't know like 50 pages would be enough but i want to see them living with the pain and rebuilding the world if you know what i mean yeah because you only really see like hermione ron harry draco and that that's it it would have been nice to see molly it would have been nice to see um percy see what percy's doing you know what maybe maybe a better epilogue would have been just seeing fred's funeral and maybe the dursleys are invited and um, I don't know, they say a few lines. I don't know. You know, okay, I, I, I have another suggestion. Yep. Have an epilogue that kind of jumps between characters that meet up. Um, and like oh, it passes yeah. from one to another. And mm. it's kind of like from the outer circle all the way, you know, it starts maybe from the, like a day in the, in the Dursleys after the war. And then it yeah. goes to... Uh, to Hagrid, L- like yeah, ten years after, but 
like Dudley is all grown up, he comes back from his job, he meets, he, he thinks he sees Hagrid on the way, but Hagrid does this and is in touch with, and kind of like getting all the way through until you get to the hospital with Harry and, Jen, and Jenny. And then, mm-hmm. I, and you also go through uh, through George, right? That uh, yeah. w- keep working in the in the uh, candy shop or uh, toy shop or whatever. Yeah, the, the yeah. trick toys or whatever it was. Trick yeah. store. Yeah. And maybe before you see George, you see Draco. Yeah. yeah. And and at the end, it 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 ends like with with the main characters all around this new baby, and and they kind of think about uh, what to call him, and they decide to call him like Albus Severus, and that that how it ends. Yeah. Kind of like with uh, with a new character, and uh, that's much better. In a way, a lot of the a lot of the seven books are about Snape in a, in a way. I mean, definitely not the main character, yeah. but he, he, you can't... It's a major storyline. Yeah, so it, it's nice to, to end up with him kind of like uh, reborn as a as Harry's child. Yeah, and like we, we do get sort of a redemption story for Snape, but I would love to see someone say a couple of nice words about him. Even just to kind of keep it how it was, so they're still at the thing, but instead of meeting in, in platform nine and three quarters, maybe this Harry comes by to Ron's house and it, they all get in the same car and then in, in the middle they get a call from Molly or something like that. Oh, mm. hey, Molly, how's everything going and stuff like that? And then they get there, they're walking to the platform, they're talking about McGonagall, who's like the headmistress, just basically what it was. But, you know, maybe they have a short conversation, just a few paragraphs about Snape. You know, so yeah. basically what it was, just those three characters mostly, but just a little bit more about the rest of the world. So nothing radically different. That would have been nice as well. Yeah, yeah because we know how everything ends. We know how Snape's yeah. story ends, but we don't know how the characters react to it. We don't yeah. know how the Dursleys react to what Harry Potter has done throughout the, the, the years. Or I, I don't need them to kind of, you know, be all into magic and everything right now and like yeah. being Harry's best friends, but just... Being okay with him, you know, just finishing the story. Yeah. I don't know. But let's be thankful it's not a bad epilogue. It doesn't ruin anything. No. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk after you see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. I think we'll have two more kind of opportunities down the line to revisit this Harry Potter world. After you finished watching the movies, yeah, and maybe one day after you finished reading or watching um, the Cursed Child, which <laughs> is out there, um, so it's not the end yet. We'll be back uh, talking about Harry Potter at least these two times. Just to let you know, I think I've I've told a non a little bit, but um, I think in July I'll be watching all the movies over a weekend with two friends that are into Harry Potter as well. I've organized a sorting hat presentation, I guess you could say. <laughs> so we get sorted into houses. You get your house T-shirt, play a bit of Trivia Pursuit. <laughs> There's a board game called Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, like a few... We're going to make butterbeers, going to wow. make cauldron cakes. So. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I mean, nerdish as hell, but, but awesome. Do we need to get a visa to be able to fly to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> Not a good time. Not a good time. But, um, yeah, so um, I'm excited to see the movies. I'm not really nervous about seeing them, like, in terms of... I, they don't need to do anything that the books didn't because I've always got the books and 
I'm I'm just happy that there are movies, you know. So um, anything's a bonus to me now, which I say when I finish something, it's anything else is a bonus. So yeah, it's going to be fun, and I'm happy I have friends like you two and my friends back in back at home who um, really love it because it wouldn't be half as fun to read it and not be able to talk about it with people. Um, talking about it just makes it makes it fun. Yeah, that's uh, kind of where the idea for the Culture Quest came, you know, to be able to talk yeah. about these things. So I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this uh, because I, it might not be my favorite book series in the world or anything, but it's definitely one of the bigger ones from my childhood. And and hmm. I reread these books so many times and I know so many trivia tidbits and everything about the books. So um, I'm I'm really happy we got to talk about this. It actually feels a little bit like therapy. I feel like I should be paying you guys because <laughs> getting all these thoughts out really sort of helped me come to terms with it ending. But as I said, I'm reading it again. I'm I'm never going to um, really put it down forever. And there's so much stuff you pick up on a second read. So um, yeah. the the adventure's not over yet. Yeah. Um, so before we finish this very magical episode, um, here's a quick rundown of what we're going to be doing next. So... The next episode to come out is our Queen live at Wembley Stadium episode. Now, we talk about Queen's live album, uh, which we found out is their second to last concert with Freddie Mercury. The episode after that one is our Flight of the Concords episode. We said we'd watch the first season, but we've all checked out some of their live stuff as well. And then we watch Woody Allen's Annie Hall, which I'm not going to say a lot about it at the moment uh, because we haven't recorded that episode yet. But I'm starting to think that I know why that movie is so highly regarded. More on that when the episode comes out. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Congratulations, future bull dragons! It's with great pleasure that I, Bun Bun Hidebottom, humbly offer you admission to the Milestone Academy. You need to list some of these precautions when we sign this form because this is technically I signed up for this, but this is not what I signed up for. Your accomplishments and talents were more than enough for us to see that you have the potential to be not just an adventurer, but a hero. We here at the Milestone Academy make sure our students have all the tools needed to make it big in the world. Maxine, where are my clothes? Put on some pants. Where are my clothes? I think I see them floating in the water. Oh man! <laughs> in fact, our statistics show that 96% of our students either find high-status job positions or die trying. That's a one. I want to die. All the greats come from our academy. Many know me as the Fate, the Fates, but. I just know myself as Grandma Lovenstein. <laughs> I love her already. Such as Franz the Dragon Layer, Calden the Demon Tamer, and of course, Kevin the Frog. So many talented heroes, and we hope that you will be the next. Go on and make us proud, hero.